if you reject what you clearly know, don't expect you to arrive to the God of uh, the God of Revelation. Right. You, you can't go, hey, I don't want that. No, you start off with the fear of God. You don't end with the fear of God. You begin with the fear of God. God's is is he's not trying to make it hard for you to find God. He said, No, I'm, here I am. I'm here. Now submit. Now bow. And if you bow, I'll give you more knowledge. If you take what you have, I'll give you more. But if you take what you you've given and you lay it aside, I'm going to take away what I've given you. And uh, that's what Aquinas did. My name is Joel Sedicase. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach Bible at a Christian high school in Chicago. Impacted by my students' questions, I set out on a journey that brought me first to seminary to study apologetics and philosophy of religion, and then into pastoral ministry. As a pastor, I saw firsthand the struggle of believers confronted with questions of life that at first seemed impossible to answer, and the powerful confidence that came when they saw how God's Word gives the answers and guidance they needed. I had a dream to spread that message and equip more followers of Jesus, so my family and I joined Crew and launched the Think Institute. Now I'm on a mission to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by applying timeless biblical truths to current cultural challenges. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, learning how to interpret all of life through the lens of God's Word takes a lot of work, more than just one or two podcast episodes a week. If you have an interest in the intersection between the biblical worldview and biblical manhood and current events, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, consider joining our free online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and on Signal. There you can join hundreds of other Christ followers who are also on the same journey, and we trade apologetic stories and strategies, we discuss philosophy and theological questions. It's like a huge bull session around a bonfire in your backyard or at your favorite cigar lounge. So check out the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. Welcome to the Think Podcast. My name is Joel Sedicase, and as we mentioned in the introduction, this is the show that seeks to equip and resource your family to not only live according to the biblical worldview, but also to articulate and defend the Christian message. So if you're a dad listening to this, we're going to have a really practical episode for you today, Uh, but we're also not going to be afraid to get into the deep water. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But before I start wading into the deep theology and philosophy that we are undoubtedly going to get into, let me go ahead and introduce myself, and then Khaldun, my co-host, will introduce himself, and then we'll introduce the guest. So my name is Joel Sedeckes. I am the founder and lead teacher of the Think Institute, and we were really founded on the belief that no Christian should ever get caught flat-footed when asked about what? or why we believe. I believe that with the right tools, anyone can explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And so this show really aims to help dads to lead their families 
in defending the Christian message. Uh, and uh, we're actually, this is kind of cool, we're actually approaching three years of the Think Institute uh, uh, next month. So I don't know, we'll have to do something special, we'll have to celebrate in some way. But enough about me, let's go ahead and introduce my co-host, Prof. Kaldun Swice. Kaldun, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Kaldun uh, Swice, I am a Jordanian American. I'm Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago. I've been uh, involved in apologetics for a while now. I have uh, about three books on the topic itself. And I'm also a life coach, Christian life coach, helping men to find productivity, peace, and passion in their life that's prophetic and profitable for them. All right. And uh, now the man of the hour, Dr. Jeff Johnson, would you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do. Yeah, my name is Jeff Johnson. I appreciate you having me on your show. Uh, yeah, I'm a pastor first, or I'm a father and a husband first, then pastor second, a pastor Grace Bible Church in Conway, Arsenal. For the, I've been here for 21 years, and I'm also the president of Grace Bible Theological Seminary, and we're going on our fifth year. And then I'm also uh, owner uh, of Free Grace Press, a Christian publishing house that's putting out two to three books a month. So we're wow. excited about publishing and seminary training and pastoral ministry and parenting and being a husband. All these things are uh, make my life wonderful. So pastoring, publishing, uh, presidenting, uh, presiding over the seminary. Yeah. Um, you know, I think your problem, Jeff, I just think you're not busy enough. I just don't think you have quite enough on your plate right now. Yeah. Uh -oh. Sometimes uh, right now, this semester, I have off from teaching. So I'm also one of the teachers. Oh, that's right. And so I'm thankful that uh, this uh, semester, I've kind of uh, got a sabbatical on teaching. So I'm working on another book and I, I wish I could turn my mind off of writing, but I love writing. Mm. Uh, so that's another thing I do on the side when there's spare time I write yeah. I like to snow I like to snowboard too but we don't have much snow here in Arkansas yeah I was gonna say did, is there is there ever an opportunity to snowboard down there or do you you must have to travel north for that right I have to travel to Colorado usually uh I used to go once a year but it's been a while my son is asking me when dad when we're gonna go back and uh I may get to go in March. We'll see. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, speaking of writing, you mentioned that was a passion of yours, something you were unable to stop doing. And um, man, I, I tell you what, I definitely get that impression because here I am holding the book that we're going to be discussing today, The Failure of Natural Theology. And you know, uh, no sooner did I finish this book, actually before I even finished it, you had already come out with another book, an ebook, um, uh, sort of a sequel to this book. And so, um, y yes, you're definitely a prolific writer. And I found this book fascinating, along with the controversy that it generated. And so, could you just tell us, Jeff, why don't we just jump right in? Why did you write the book, The Failure of Natural Theology? And what do you think sparked all the controversy online over what you wrote? Yeah. Just, well, I knew that it would be controversial. I knew that because 
In fact, there's a side of me that didn't want to ride on this topic side of me. They didn't want to jump into the, the waters. But I've been noticing for the last five or six years a trend towards Thomas Aquinas from a Protestant, Reformed Protestant perspective and tradition, going back to something I always deemed as outside of our tradition, outside of the Reformed Protestant tradition. And uh, so I've been concerned about it for a while. Um, and going back to my life of, uh, of study, about 15 years ago, I did this in-depth study on mysticism. And in my study of mysticism, Christian mysticism, which is seeking to know God, independent or separate from scriptures. Like there's something beyond what scriptures can lead us to, and we need to have an experience. And this experience itself is more valid uh, than the written word of God. And I was concerned about Christian mysticism about 15 years ago, which led me to study this guy uh, that lived in the 5th century named Pseudo-Denisius, or Denisius, who... Um, basically is the father of Christian mysticism. And I studied him. I read everything he had to write. I uh, felt like, okay, I got a good grasp of the Neoplatonism that he brought into Christianity, which leads to some form of Gnosticism that there's uh, a, that God is unknowable. And if you're going to know God, it's more through an experience than it is through cognitive understanding. And so I was concerned about that. And I knew that Thomas Aquinas was a big fan of Thomas uh, of Denisius and that uh, Aquinas integrated a lot of Denisius writings and thought and theology and philosophy into his theology. And so when I saw Aquinas being more and more referenced, I started seeing some of these things I thought were detrimental, not just to one's apologetics, but to the doctrine of God and to how we know God. And so that led me to start studying Aquinas and I, I don't, I just begin to uh, read everything I could get my hands on by Aquinas. And I've just read and read for years. Hmm. Um, and Aquinas is a hard person to get your mind wrapped around a lot of, he wrote a lot on a lot of topics. And so it, I spent five years just digesting Thomas Aquinas to the point that my wife says she, literally hates Thomas Aquinas, not because <laughs> for the same reason I do, but because she's jealous of him because I, I, all my mind and time sometimes was wrapped up into studying this guy. So mm. um, so th that's what led to me to write this book. Um, and as I just wanted to expose the failure of the philosophy of Aquinas in a way that could be grasped or understood by the average person. Interesting. So you spent all that time studying Aquinas, but you didn't become a Thomist. You studied him, it sounds like uh, a little adversarially almost, uh, studying him, looking for, um, well, I don't know if it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, you were looking for uh, the flaws and-, and Yeah, um, exactly. I was. I mean- I'll admit to it. I confess that hey, I wasn't unbiased. I was already right. prejudiced against him. However, I did in my study of Aquinas, I did res learn to respect the man. The man was a genius, mm -hmm. and there was very few men in history that had the fortitude, the wisdom, uh, the strength that he had to stay pinpoint focused. I mean, he never got married. Uh, he he died at forty nine, 
And between 20 and 50, for about 30 years, he basically gave his life with little to no sleep, studied, 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 wrote, 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 taught, taught, taught. He was just an avid student of philosophy, theology, of uh, and I, I learned to respect the man. I read about five or six, maybe maybe even eight to ten uh, biographies of, of his life. Wow. And so there was a there, there was a side of me that said, man, I wish I could have met this man. I think we would, uh, you know, I think he, he would have been very friendly. And I th- he would have been more friendly towards me and my critique of him than a lot of the people who are critiquing me. Uh, they've been, some, some of the critiques have been very harsh. But Thomas Aquinas was a gentle, kind, and he, he, uh, he interacted with his cr- critics very graciously. And so I, I appreciate that about Aquinas. So there was there's aspects about Aquinas I really learned to appreciate and value. But in the end, I, I, I there was never a time I thought uh, he was helpful because I, I, I knew from the beginning that he was integrating hmm. a secular worldview into the Christian worldview. And so I had that presupposition going into my study that you can't, you know, you can't take something like Islam and go, let's, let's find the good out of Islam and take the good out of it and integrate it into Christianity right? or any other worldview that at the heart of the worldview, not uh, that at the heart of the worldview is antithetical to the Christian worldview. It's based upon a different God Hmm. and it has different conclusions. You can't go, okay, there's something in there that we can wrestle out of there and adopt into the Christian worldview that will help us. I was like, no, that there, there obviously there'd be some overlapping common ground, if you would. Like, there's some things that Thomas Quinn says that, oh yeah, that's true. That well, that's true. That's true. Not everything he said was wrong, but the the whole system itself is flawed. So it, it's not about hey, everything he said is wrong. It's just the system in which he's operating uh, is wrong. He, you know, I'm dealing with a Mac. He's dealing with an Apple product or something of that nature. We're, we're dealing on two different systems of thought, and. Uh, and I wanted to expose that the system, uh, the foundational system of his thinking, is, is fatally flawed. And well, um, maybe we could maybe yeah. we could start there. Um, yeah, you, you call your book "The Failure of Natural Theology." What exactly is natural theology, Jeff? And how is it different from natural revelation? Because I always thought natural revelation was a good thing. It comes from God. Yeah. So is natural theology different? And how do you navigate between those two terms? Yeah, that's a good question. I, that's why I wrote that second book. Um, if we're going to have a natural theology, here's the biblical confines that define what natural theology is. Um, but Aquinas has a natural theology that was rooted and not in natural revelation, but natural science. And natural science is based upon empiricism or sense experiences, which is different than natural revelation. And so I, I affirm and uphold the efficacy uh, of natural revelation, that God has spoken universally to all men of all educational levels, of all languages. He's spoken clearly of his existence and certain aspects of his nature, like he's powerful and he's wise and he's uh, basically uh, the creator of all things and that God is the providential ruler of the world. There's certain things we all know, all people know, and you don't have to 
try to learn these things. God's already taught us these things. Uh, so all people know these things. Like, well, like what? Well, one, that God exists. Two, that God is the creator. That God is not a part of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that God is the God of providence. That he provides for us. That we're beneficiaries of his provisions. Uh, Acts 17, Acts 14, Psalm 19, Romans 1. All these texts will tell us what God has clearly told us in nature. And these things all men know. They may suppress it. They may deny it. In fact, they do suppress it. They do deny it. They do reject it. But in the end, they're going to be held accountable to that knowledge that God has freely, clearly, efficaciously revealed to them. And they're without excuse, according to Romans. And so I believe in natural revelation. But Thomas Aquinas did not build his natural theology on that. He built upon uh, on the foundation of now he, he assumed there is a God, but he built he started off on kind of agnosticism, on pure empiricism. So now we can start with not knowing there's a God. And then at the end of our syllogism, at the end of our inquiry, at the end of our sense experiences and test, testing of the facts of, of science, we can come to the uh, to the conclusion of a God. And so he built his his theology off of science. And I yeah. I don't think in fact I'm convinced that science can prove that there is a a, a um, it, it demands that there's a God, but it can't tell us anything about the nature of God. Well and and he started from sense experience, which which that's basically what science is. It's empirical mm-hmm. data gathered through our senses, tested according to hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Um and and you go pretty hard on that uh idea of starting with sense experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the alternative being starting with scripture, correct? That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the problem with science is good in what it tells us. We use science all the day. I, I'm not denying science. Um, like if I'm, my car is broken, I go to the doctor. If my body's broken. I go to my car's broken. I go to the mechanic. Let's, let's get this right. And if my body's broken, I go to the doctor and I expect that them through their, um, through science to tell me the right problem, the right correction. But science uh, is good at what it tells us, but science cannot tell us that which transcends its reach. Mm. Science is based upon the study of physics, things that can be sensed or experienced. God transcends that. So what can science say about that which it has no access of knowing? So science is limited now it, it presumes it needs a god for it to for it to function. You need ethics to have science, and you need uh, logic for there to be science. And you can't have ethics or logic without God. So it needs God for science to exist. But the science can't tell us anything about this God. It can't. It can't say, well, uh, God looks like this or God's like that. Uh, science has its limits, and when you try to use science to explain God you end up going to get into some form of pantheism, which is confusing God with physics or God with this world. And so you're going to end up uh, blending uh, God who transcends this world with this world. And that's what Aristotle did. And that's what Aquinas, following Aristotle, essentially did. He uh, basically built his philosophy on this presupposition of the chain 
a being that what we know about creation can tell us something about God because there's some form of uh, relationship between the cause and effect. It can go all the way back to the transcendental realm, to God himself. And by studying the the effects, we know the cause. And it's just based upon kind of a pantheistic chain of being, which natural revelation rejects and scripture rejects that there is a clear creator-creature distinction and that God transcends creation. And that means we're dependent upon God telling us about himself. We have to have revelation to know God. Yes. God has to stoop down. He has to condescend. And he just says, listen, you're in a fishbowl. You're stuck in that fishbowl. You're finite. You're incapable of getting out of the fishbowl. But let me come into the fishbowl and tell you a little about what it's like outside of the fishbowl. Let me tell you who I am. And he's done that in two ways, through the book of nature and the book of scripture. And so we have to be dependent upon revelation, which means we have to bow the knee and we have to submit to what God tells us rather than thinking that we can in our own wisdom and strength of, of insight, think, hey, I don't need revelation. I don't need you to tell me who you are. I'll just figure you out on my own. And when you seek to do that uh, without submitting to revelation, I'm convinced it gets you to, to deism or pantheism or gets you to a false god. You're well, integrating, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out here where the failure of natural theology is. Because people like Aquinas and other thinkers have used Aristotelian philosophical insights to gain wisdom upon the scriptures and to um, understand the world as we know it, the scientific world, the natural world, the phenomenological world, using science, logic, psychology, technology, etc. Um, I don't see where there's a failure of it. Maybe you can expand on how that failed. Um, uh, it's my understanding that in with Aquinas and others, that they don't directly contradict the revelation of scripture. They add to it and elucidate upon it using scientific methodologies. Um, how is that a failure of it? Well, that's a good question. I mean, Aristotle um, did not create logic, but he gives us a textbook on logical principles. That's good. Uh, we all use logic. I want to use logic. I'm not, so I'm not critiquing Aristotle's use of logic or his textbook on logic. I'm not, critiquing the 90% of his writings, which was on physics. Most of Aristotle's literature and writings is on science. He was a scientist as much as he was what we consider a philosopher. But in those days, philosophers were seeking, as they are today, philosophers are seeking the ultimate equation for all things. They're not just seeking to figure out one little minor thing of life. They want to figure out the big question. And they want the ultimate equation that solves the riddle of, of all things. Why do we exist? Why are we here? What's the ultimate being? What's the ultimate purpose? You know, it, that's what philosophy is seeking to do. And Aristotle sought to answer these ultimate questions of life and of being and of ethics and of knowledge. Uh, how do we know what we know? Epistemology and ethics and so forth. He, he sought to do this uh, on the foundation of natural science. And so whatever he he wrote about spiders and other things that he wrote about um, and his observations of the physical world, I'm not critiquing that. I'm not saying he failed in that area. Um, I'm saying he failed in seeking to, to build a worldview on the foundation of empiricism. 
Talk about Aristotle or Aquinas. Aquinas failed or Aristotle failed? They both failed because they both that's their both of their starting points was on that foundation. Aquinas says that all of our knowledge begins in sense experience, and all of our knowledge is confined to sense experience. Uh, my light goes off when I'm not moving around in here. Um, sorry, guys. There we go. I thought that might have been like uh, a Plato's cave metaphor. Yeah, 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 maybe the rapture. The, the rapture, rapture happened. Yeah, in, something uh, like that. Arkansas first. For those for those listening on the podcast, Jeff's light just went out. He went totally dark, and so yeah. uh, using yeah. his own metaphor, he needs a divine revelation light to bring knowledge to us. That's right. right. If you don't have divine light from the outside, you're left <laughs> in the dark. That's, right. That's, good. And, That's and, good. And so I'm like, again, I'm uh, Aristotle and Aquinas. Aquinas adopted the foundation of Aristotle and sought to Christianize it or baptize it. And because Aquinas thought Aristotle came to some truths that Christianity affirmed, such as that there is a God, uh, that God is simple, that God is immutable, God is, abs- you know, these certain attributes the Bible affirms. So there are correlations that overlap mm-hmm. between Aristotelianism and the Christian worldview. And Aristotle saw that and said, look, we could use Aristotle. Now, you got to remember in the context of the 13th century, Aristotle was forbidden literature because Aristotle denied a personal God. His God was deistic. His God is not the creator of the world. There's no creator. The world is eternal. Um, he's not the God of providence. So there, it's not the God of the Bible. So the Catholic Church says, listen, this literature is dangerous and don't read it. Um, but Plato wasn't banned in the same way, though, was he? Because Augustine no. had uh, Platonic no. overtones. He was sort no, of a Neoplatonist. Right. So, right. but but Aristotle was uniquely banned, and and Plato uh, and was the, not. Yeah, at the beginning of Aquinas' uh, life, by the end, of course, Aquinas died in seventy four, and in seventy seven, there was a ba- there was a big ban. But by seventy eight, seventy nine, twelve seventy nine, you know, basically that ban was reversed, and uh, uh, because of the influence of Aquinas. Aristotelian literature was accepted mm-hmm. and brought in, and so there was a, a paradigm and, and shift. Not even of, just accepted, but but made the functional orthodoxy, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Even to this day, the Catholic Church still uh, views Aristotle as kind of the, the, the principal philosopher. I mean, the, again, in my book, I said, it's not like Aquinas just only leaned upon Aristotle. He he had to take things out of Plato as well. Hmm. Aristotelian philosophy doesn't get you to a creator, a personal being. It doesn't get you a God who knows the world, knows us. And because his God is completely immobile and impersonable and unrelatable and can't create, can't control, can't do anything uh, other than what he always does, which is self-contemplation. And so you need Plato to kind of get a God who causes uh, is the efficient cause of the universe. So uh, basically, Aquinas took the foundation of Aristotle, baptized Aristotle with Platonism, if you would, the help of Plato and Neoplatonism, and then said, look, there are some common uh, truths that the Bible teaches, that philosophy teaches, uh, look, we can get to those truths. Uh, they're God's truths. We can get to them in two ways, through revelation or through uh, inquiry or through 
human achievement, he would say, and they get to the same the same position. But I'm arguing in my book, it doesn't get you to the same position. Uh, it, like I don't know if you can see this, but for you who are listening, I'm holding up my fingers as an X. And maybe from your angle, it looks like my fingers are touching one another. And where they seem to touch across, they go, look, that's common ground between Aristotelianism and Christianity, God's immutability or God's simplicity. It looks like it's common ground, but if you turn it this way, mm. you'll see that they're not touching, that it's not the same thing. Because God, uh, Aristotle's and Aquinas' view of immutability is not the immutability of nature, uh, uh, immutability of God's character, nature, and essence. It's an immutability of immobility that God can't move. So it's it's not just God's immutable in his nature or his essence or his character, but God's immutable in his activity. God cannot do anything. God's There's no motion in God. There's no movement of God. Therefore, God can't create. God can't govern. God can't oversee. God can't destroy. God can't do. This is Aristotle's. This is Aristotle, but Aquinas adopts that and breaks it into Christianity and seeks to. And then what he does is he runs into these, in unreconcilable conflicts that can't come together. So he's 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 pulling in contrasting worldviews and trying to fit them together. And at the end of the day, at the end of his life, he has to write this book, uh, kind of like Constantine wrote a book of retractions at the end of his life. Quas wrote a book like problems, like here are the problems of my philosophy. Here's the big problems. And he called them questions. And the, the one that's most uh, interesting to me is the the problems on power, and he he kind of reduced things to the fact that we know that God is a God of power, but power is an activity or exertion of energy, hmm. and with God, who's unmoved mover, there's no energy to be exerted, there's no power to be um, exhibited because he's stagnant, he's immobile, he's yeah. he's apathetic, he's stuck. Which leads to all kinds of problems for Christian theology, because in Scripture we have God moving and speaking and acting and willing and doing all sorts of things, loving, actively. I mean, the incarnation is the ultimate example of that. Well, He's sovereign over His own actions, so He's not He's not like us that's reactionary in the sense that we control God. He controls Himself, but He's still capable, as evident by creation itself. He's capable of freely choosing to do something that He doesn't have to do. It's not by necessity that he created the world. It's out of his good pleasure. Well, Jeff, let me ask you a question because in your book, what I couldn't figure out was how you feel about philosophy in general. Um, and and maybe, maybe if we can talk specifically about general revelation and the role that it plays in Christian, Christian epistemology, uh, the theory of knowledge. And okay, let me back up one more step because there's... Um, there's a professor from Arizona State who I've had on several times on the show, Dr. Owen Anderson. He is a huge general revelation guy. As a matter of fact, he really, uh, he I don't want to misquote it here, but I believe he would say that um, absent the influence of sin and man's suppression of the truth, which, I, which he would affirm, general revelation actually can get us to Christian orthodoxy. And and that sort of explains why um, you see all these different cultures offering sacrifices or even, even human sacrifices mm-hmm. in many cases. 
you know, you read about the grotesque sacrifices of the Aztecs and the, the you know, uh, these different uh, nations. And it's like, well, man, they were hitting on something. The idea mm-hmm. of the need mm-hmm. for a human sacrifice, but they didn't understand is that we need a God man. But um, is your is your issue with Aquinas the very fact that he started from general, started from sense experience at all, started from the world at all and try to reason his way to God? Or is it just the very idiosyncratic Aristotelian way that he did it? Was what he was doing, was his whole project flawed or was it just the approach that he took? And if he had taken a different approach, then that would have been fine in your book. Sure. Yeah. Um, He did not build on natural revelation. If he would have thumbs up to him, he (laughs) rejected He rejected natural revelation. Oh. Now, he, how, how so? Can you flesh that out? Yeah. Okay. It's um, okay. Natural revelation works. It's a. It's a, a. It works. God is very good at communicating. He's not like. He's not speaking in riddles. He's not leaving it up for only the smart people to figure this out. Where you have to be really intelligent, or you have to be get a a, a major in philosophy before you can comprehend and understand what he's trying to communicate. He's so good. He made us in his image, which gives us the proper recipient where the proper recipients, even in a flawed, broken system, in sense of the fall, the image of God has been defaced, but there's still enough image in us that we're proper recipients of divine revelation. So it's not like we have a natural inability to understand the word of God or the word of, 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 of the book of nature and natural revelation. It's that we hate it. There's a moral inability, not a natural inability. But so God is good at communicating. Uh, and all men know certain truths. And the way I like to put it is if, if like God spoke to Saul, the road of Damascus, Saul, when he heard the voice of God, knew it was God. Uh, uh, he didn't go, he didn't go, who are you? Are you a Lord? Are you God? No, like right. you're God, but who are you? I mean, right. he knew and you couldn't convince him otherwise. Yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody knows God. They know. I mean, they may not like it. They know God's good at communicating. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's through the medium of nature. It's not like, I'm not saying it's just purely innate. It's, it's through the medium and the mechanism of nature. The, the words that he uses is physics, is nature. It's mm. the, the sky and the stars and the sun and the mountains and yourself and your conscience and, you know, all these things. And, and you can't, it's the theater of God, as Calvin says, and you can't escape the theater of God. So we all know this, there's a God and it's immediate, spontaneous. Uh, we know. And, uh, and so we know a certain foundation of truth um, from the beginning, from the get go. Like I said, we know God is personal. We know he's transcendent. We know it's powerful. We know that he's judge and Lord. We know that we're a sinner. We're going to be held accountable. We're guilty. We know that he's the God of providence. The whole human race knows this theology. Um, Thomas Quanah says, okay, take that, which nature tells us, put it to a side, and I'm going to act like I don't know Hmm. and build up to it. I'm going to build on the foundation of agnosticism. And like if there's a blank slate, like all knowledge begins with with testing and experimentation 
and and you, like and only the scientists can come to this conclusion. It's a logical syllogism built upon scientific uh, experiments and testing, okay. and so that's that's a different method of learning than starting on revelation. See, that is fascinating because it's sort of assumed in this Thomistic scheme that God's existence is at least hypothetically not super clear from general revelation. Right. And, and so it's, again, it's assumed that we ought to be not necessarily atheistic, but at least agnostic. And that's sort of viewed as virtuous. It's, you know, we're being open-minded. We're not going to assume that God is there, that God has the attributes that scripture says that he has. And so we're going to start from nature itself. But it sounds like what you're saying is that by even starting from that starting point or, or, or even, you know, cause Aquinas did believe in God, as you mentioned, yeah, but yeah. by even feigning like we're going to start from that neutral standpoint, we've already rejected what scripture makes clear and, and even really what general revelation makes clear. Correct. That's right. That's right. Aquinas was clear about it. He said, God gave us the Bible because he knew that we all, he knew that not all of us could be philosophers. Even those who had the mind to be philosophers could be too busy with taking care of other chores and activities. So God needed to give us a clear revelation. So he does put the Bible as as more clear and authoritative than uh, science and the method of learning about God through, you know, through uh, human achievement, he says. Uh, but he, he confesses that not everybody knows this God this way. And I'm saying, no, natural revelation, everybody does know God. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. <laughs>